It was about 4.30 in the morning on April 18th earlier this year that I woke up to a sound similar to that. The floorboards of our house were creaking, the structure was shaking, the windows were rattling, and I lasted for about a half a minute, and then I said to my wife, we just had an earthquake. That was an earthquake. And indeed it was. In fact, it was the strongest earthquake that's hit this region in 40 years. Measured 5.2 on the Richter scale with its epicenter in southern Illinois, the Wabash Valley Rift. And yet it certainly isn't the greatest and strongest earthquake that's ever hit this region. Almost 200 years ago, another earthquake or series of earthquakes hit, which are considered to be the strongest earthquakes that ever hit our nation in recorded history. In 1811 and 1812, there were a number of shocks and aftershocks, some of which are estimated to have measured over 8.0. And the epicenter was about 150 miles south of here in New Madrid, Missouri, along what's now called the New Madrid Fault. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching the History Channel, and there was a program entitled Mega Disasters, Earthquake in the Heartland. And it depicted what would happen in the Midwest if there was another massive 8.0 earthquake along the New Madrid Fault. The two most vulnerable cities, Memphis, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. One of the video depictions portrayed the arch collapsing. And they predicted that most of the old brick and stone buildings would be leveled in St. Louis. That doesn't bode very well for our historic campus, does it? (laughs) Dr. Meyer, one more thing to put on your worry list here. (laughs) But I stand before you today to predict an even greater earthquake than that big one. In fact, an earthquake that is universal in scope. And I do so not because I am a seismologist or an earth scientist or a prophet or a prophet's son. I do so because the scripture foretells this event. Both Old Testament and New Testament. On the last day, the great and terrible day of the Lord. A massive seismic revolt of the cosmos. Our text from Isaiah chapter 64 describes this event. Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah here is summoning the day of the Lord. He's calling on Yahweh to rend the heavens, to tear the curtain of the celestial realm and come down. And in his holy coming, 
It would cause this fallen earth to tremble in fear. Isaiah goes on to say that this isn't the first time that God had come down with such seismic phenomena. In verse 3, we're told, When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. What event is he speaking of there? Well, most probably the Sinai event, where God came down in fire and smoke and was present on that mountain. And Exodus 19 says that the whole mountain shook violently with a massive earthquake at the sound of his voice. And yet, the prophets, the apostles tell us there is coming another day, the big one coming, when he comes again. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the writer summons a prophecy from the book of Haggai and applies it to the final day. This is what he says. At that time, God's voice shook the earth, speaking of Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This isn't going to be just a localized earthquake, the New Madrid Fault in Missouri, the San Andreas Fault in California. This one is universal in scope, and the time is coming. This is one that will shake, rattle, and roll the whole cosmos, heaven and earth. And why? What's the reason? It's not ultimately because of plates rubbing against themselves, continental plates, or seismic activity under the crust of the earth. But the ultimate reason for this seismic earthquake, the earthquake of God's anger and wrath, is because of us, because of our sin. Many years ago, the London Times published a series of articles on problems in the world, including some natural disasters and earthquakes and so forth. And at the end of, the, of each of these articles, the correspondent concluded with the question, what's wrong with the world? And the great Christian writer and apologist, G.K. Chesterton, decided to respond to that question. He sent a letter to the editor. Very simply, succinctly, he wrote, Dear editor, what's wrong with the world? I am. Faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton was right. What's wrong with the world? I am. And you are. It is our sin that has brought the curse upon the earth. And it is our sin that calls God's judgment ultimately upon us. This is why Isaiah says in verses 5 and 6 of our text, Behold, you, O God, were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? 
We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The word that's used over and over again there is the word all. All of us are unrighteous. And all of us then are disqualified to stand before the holy and righteous God when he comes to judge by our own merits. And so the question that Isaiah asks is the question we ask today as well. Can we be saved? Is there any hope for us? And indeed, there is. There is hope. And that hope is in none other than God's advent. His coming. Because 2,000 years ago, God did in fact rend the heavens and come down. And yet he was manifest not in great seismic activity and earthquakes, but in the activity of a little baby moving within swaddling clothes. And his advent was made known not in the roar of crumbling mountains, but in the cry of an infant voice. And his advent was made known not in tectonic plates rubbing against one another and convulsing the earth, but in a little child that rest still in his mother's arms. The God-man, Jesus, come as Emmanuel. But 33 years later, his coming was accompanied with a great earthquake, perhaps the greatest earthquake this world has ever experienced. Matthew describes it in chapter 27. He said, the whole earth shook violently, the great boulders split in half. And why? Because at that moment in history, that dark Friday afternoon, the Son of God hung upon the cross of Golgotha. And all of the sin of every generation and every human being was placed on him. And so the earthquake of God's anger and wrath was directed upon him. The boulders and the rocks were crushed and crumbled. And yet that was nothing compared to the crushing effect of the sin of the world placed upon Jesus Christ. Isaiah himself had foretold it. He said it was the Lord's will to crush him, to make him a sin offering. For the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. And that means it's no longer laid on you. That means you now do not look ahead to the judgment of your sin, to that big one, that great day, but to the past, to the cross, where your sin was paid in full, completely. There was another earthquake, though. And that was on the third day after that Friday. Another earthquake in which God didn't 
come down, but he came forth, forth out of the tomb, the victor, the conqueror over the curse for us. And he now has inaugurated a new day, a new era, a new kingdom, an unshakable kingdom. Oh yes, there will come that day of the big one, the universal cosmic earthquake. But for us who are his, who are in his hand by faith, this will only occasion the bringing about of a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness and wherein we dwell, not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ given to us freely. The writer to the Hebrews writes, Yet once war I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And what is our response now? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. An unshakable kingdom. That's our inheritance now and when he comes again. Amen.